This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 410 for Friday, July 30th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about geeky stuff that we're into. We normally hang out on Wednesdays, but I'm making a special adjustment this week because we've got a big topic, and I'm welcoming back Megan Townsend to the show. You can find her at oh Megan Townsend on all the social media that matters. It's been a while, Megan. I think episode 398 was the last time you were on. I know. It's been so long. Hi. <laughs> it's so good to have you back. I know. I'm so happy <laughs> to be back. It's been a busy time. I dropped off the face of the, the internet sphere uh, entirely just because of work. So I haven't been, uh, aside from like the, the random Twitter post or Instagram post, uh, I've been pretty much gone. But uh, I'm back and I'm happy to be back. I know you can't get into the details, but like exciting because this is a step into your career. Yeah. No, it's been really good. I'm really, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. hundred um, percent. I learned a lot and I met some really wonderful people. Um, I was working on the show, uh, Digstown. Um, so it's a, like a CBC law drama and it, um, it is starring, it is the first Canadian drama that is starring an African-American woman, which I think is amazing. Nice. Um, or African Canadian, I guess, because she's Canadian. Um, and uh, what's really great about it is that it's set in Halifax. Like it is set in Nova Scotia. It's not just like a random city. It is like it's Halifax. They talk about Dartmouth. They talk about Clayton Park. They talk about Preston, like, you know, the community of Preston. Things that locals here would know rather than. Yeah. A lot of Canadian drama is either filmed in BC or, you know, or Toronto, right? And it's it's disguised to look like something else. So like the show Suits is filmed entirely in Toronto, but it's based in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. But even even Canadian based stuff, like it's still very yeah. often. I mean, I'll I'll use Kim's Convenience as an example. That's core to the story. It's meant to be set in Toronto, but you don't right. often see a show idea for Kim's Convenience or a or a similar kind of sitcom set in small town Quebec. They tend to be a little bit more. Ontario BC focused because that's usually yeah. where the production stuff is happening. That's where all the tax credits are and everything. And right. that's where yeah. all, the, uh, all the money is for it. But no, it's really nice to see that this is the third season. So it, it went pretty well. I'm glad that you had such a good experience on it. It was great. And the cast is lovely. And yeah, I also um, managed to score a speaking role on the show. Nice. Yeah. So actually one of the one of the cast members, Shailene, found out her she plays Iris. She's lovely. Um, she found out that I was also an actor and she was like, Oh, I'll I'll mention you to to Floyd, the producer. And I was like, Okay, Shailene, like thinking she was joking. And then the next day she was like, So I mentioned you to Floyd, he just needs a headshot and a resume. And I was like, Okay, Shailene, like thinking again she was joking. And then I ended up in an elevator with Floyd and he was like, So I'm still waiting on your headshot and resume. And I was like, What? And he was like, yeah, Shailene mentioned that you're an actor. Are you are you still interested? And I was like, oh, I thought she was joking. And he was like, no, no, I no, I've 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 already written in a line for you. He said, and I was like, what? Okay, so I guess I have to do it now. Um, but it was great. So it's like baby's first actor credit. 
um, I have an agent now. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. And everyone was just like, you looked like you knew exactly what you're doing. And I was just like, well, I hope so. I've been acting on and off for enough time that hopefully I know what I'm doing. Or at least I look like I know what I'm doing anyway. So yeah, it was good. So I'm in the last episode of, of Diggs, assuming I don't make it to the cutting room floor. Right. Who knows? I don't know if I'll get cut or not. I'm not I'm not holding my breath for anything until I see it. Then I know I'm in it for sure. But I got paid to do it and I got a, I got an actor credit for it. So I'm now like a union apprentice for the acting union. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. That's very, very cool. And so how does, I mean, I've seen you uh, act in in plays or a play, I, I should mm-hmm. say plural. Um, but how did that differ? How did that experience differ from being on stage to being in front of a camera? You don't have to project as much. Like you can make it a little bit more natural. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, there's, it's really interesting actually, because I guess some actors, I, I was, I ended up becoming very close with the sound guy because you know, my job was cast PA. So I was taking the cast to sound to get wired. So I was hanging out with them a lot. So, and he was saying, um, what, like some of the best actors you can tell are theater trained actors. Um, and some actors, when they're on camera, they end up like, just, they just, they talk really softly like this. Cause it's more dramatic. Mm. Um, but he's like, no, he would just want people to talk normally and like, like forget that the mic is there. Um, and I forgot that the mic was there and he was like, you know, partially I was like, what can I do to make like a good audio take, um, for something? And he was like, just talk, just talk normally. You don't have to whisper. You don't have to like, you know, be pulled back. Like if you have, if you have theater training, it's like somewhere between talking to someone in a really intimate manner and then being on stage. It's like, it's like a weird, like in between zone that you have to find, um, but it's just like using your normal voice. Like it just kind of felt like this, like yeah. talking normally. They had like a boom, but they also had like a mic on me, on my person. So I didn't have to like yell to the mic. You know what I mean? I've seen a really interesting uh, snippet from uh, Sir Patrick Stewart where he was talking about the first few weeks on set filming uh, TNG, The Next Generation. Uh, and mm-hmm. he was saying that you could tell the people that had stage experience because we all knew exactly what to do with our hands which was nothing because everybody else that had more television drama uh was always looking for pockets like always trying to put their hand in or on or next to something and there are no pockets in shakespearean costumes (laughs) so yes he always just had to had to stand with his hands by his side (laughs) you know and so he just kind of knew how to keep them still and, and of course, in Star Trek uniforms, there's no pockets. Yeah. <laughs> Which I always thought was really peculiar because you'd think that with all the tech stuff that they would need to have, like they'd have to have pockets for something. But I guess that's what the belts are for. Like whenever you see them go on an away mission, like they always have like a some sort of belt attachment to like hook a tricorder to yeah. or a phaser to or something like that. But even like while you're working on the ship, though, too, like you still have to have equipment on you. Yeah. I would still say that you would need some kind of a belt or some kind of a pocket to like put your, this is a conversation for Alistair. <laughs> yes, it is. No, I realize that. I realize that. But yeah, like I, the only time I ever think about tools, you're talking about like Jordy and data and engineering, and they're always picking something up from off a table. Like they're never actually like pulling it out of their pocket, you know, or if it's Dr. Crusher, she's just already holding the tricorder. They never tell, show her picking it up and putting it down. It's just more of a, that, yeah. I just have it all the time. They don't, they didn't really think about the practicalities of it. 
to go back to what you were saying about about you know talking softly and stuff like that i i'm i'm glad that 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 that's a, an experience that went well because like i find um as a podcaster sometimes you know you're interviewing somebody you're talking with somebody for the first time they're on mic for the first time you know tell them you have to tell them to get up closer to the mic or talking to them about like just mic levels and things like that it's th stuff that you and i are used to now because we've been doing the show for a while but like yeah. i i have to i have a very loud laugh so i have to like raise my head when i laugh on mic otherwise i'll blow out the microphone and it's a terrible editing process um because mm. i just i have a big belly like ha 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 and i have to like, you have a very good laugh your laugh is very it's very it's very uh what's the word i'm looking for contagious oh thanks yeah i mean i basically i have to shoot the santa over the microphone otherwise it just goes straight to 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 loud town um but it's uh having that kind of stuff i can imagine as as you know working with the sound guy on set it's probably not like really nice for him you know to have someone that that knows like has that stage experience and like and can balance that whereas if somebody's whisper talk like that to me and it's it's also a, a pet peeve with podcasts and stuff like that and and i don't know why but somehow i found myself on asmr tiktok for some reason i'm not sure why all these videos are getting recommended to me because i hate them and i scroll past them as fast as i can mm. but if you're whispering into a microphone and i can hear like your lips parting like it is like nails on a chalkboard no. for me it's like cbc yeah. radio and it's not all of cbc radio some of the the traditional radio stuff and 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 npr sometimes i i just can't take it even if the show is informative and really well done if someone is like up on the mic like this i, I can't do it <laughs> like i just it's too it's too much like it's just it's yeah it's like this weird like asmr attempt thing and i'm just like Ugh. so the main topic this week is going to be masters of the universe revelation and i'm excited to get into this with megan uh, but before we get there we actually have a listener email from ruint star wars and show recommendation Hello, Joel and Megan. Thanks for an amazing podcast that you unleash every week to the geeky side of everyone. I recently wanted to watch Star Wars, but I have no idea where to even start. And when I get into the nooks and crannies of the animated shows and stuff, it just gets overwhelming. So can you help me enter this new world? I also have a show to recommend, Lucifer. It's a story following the devil who has taken vacation from hell and is the owner of Club Lux in Los Angeles. Personally, I love the show and really think it's worth a watch. The final season is coming up on September 10th, and I'm looking forward to seeing how things turn out. Looking forward to hearing from you. Ruined. Uh, thanks very much for the email and the show recommendation. I've seen the show fly up on my Netflix recommendations quite a bit. Uh, I haven't watched it. It's, I believe, a WB show or CW or whatever the heck it's called now. Um, so I kind of know how that goes. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it's necessarily for me. Um, but I believe I have to look this up. I believe Tom Welling from Smallville is involved in it either as a producer or as a co-star in, in Lucifer. Uh, have you seen the show, Megan? I've seen the first couple of episodes, um, like way back. It's been on my radar to watch again once I had time. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of in my Netflix list. Um, and I think like the, the main character or the main actor who plays lucifer he's very good he's very theatrical he's very um he's putting a, an interesting take on on lucifer i think um i'll have to dive into it a bit more and see like get deeper into it because i don't know how many seasons there are I, again i only watched like the first four episodes um but i i liked it so far it's like it's kind of campy 
it's not like like a deep watch, but um, I thought it was kind of fun. Is it Tom Ellis who plays yes, Lucifer? Tom Ellis and Tom yeah. Tom Welling is in it. He plays a character called Marcus Pierce, and he's been in it for twenty two episodes, so at least a season. Okay. Um, okay. I don't know whether he's in it now. I think the season that Tom Welling was in was only two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen. Anyway, it sounds good. Again, I just had to stop watching it just because of time, but um, definitely something good to put on the put on the background. I think. As for the Star Wars question, uh, wow, is that a big tree trunk to chop down? Um, it really is. Where, like, how do you approach Star Wars as someone that's not seen it? I'm assuming you've probably been exposed to enough pop culture and stuff that you probably know a lot of the story just by osmosis. But um, there are a couple schools of thought. Uh, the timeline order, which is just straight up one through nine, just watch them in the order in which they are set. Uh, I'm imagining that's mostly how people will watch it going forward, especially if you're new to it, uh, because that's how most people would would approach things. But if you're savvy enough on the internet and savvy enough of a nerd to know that they didn't all come out at the same time, then there's also the release order, which for those of you that don't know is four, five, six, one, two, three, and then seven, eight, nine, uh, which is how all of us that were experiencing these things as they were released theatrically um, experienced them. Uh, then there's another school of thought, which is the flashback order, which I've always thought was interesting, which is that you'd start the way that everybody else did with Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, which is episodes four and five. But then at the end of the Empire Strikes Back with the big dramatic reveal and the big kind of like breath that you have to take in, in the series at that point, you can go back and watch one, two and three and then continue on with six and then seven, eight, nine. Um, some people have the opinion that the machete order is is the way to go which is removing episode one entirely uh you can skip episode one and you won't really miss much i don't think um you might wonder where some characters are coming from later on in the cartoons but honestly you could go either way um the reason why i'm not sure about the timeline order especially for someone that has not seen any star wars is episode one is probably the weakest out of all of them at least for me. And I find that a hard sell. Like if you're thinking like, I've got nine films to watch, I'm going to start with the first one. And if that one really doesn't land with you, it's going to be really hard to motivate yourself to watch the other ones. And the other ones, some of them are fantastic. So it's really, it's a hard sell for episode one. So an idea that I had just before the show is try just watching episode four, Star Wars. It works on its own. You don't have to do anything else. You can just watch Star Wars. If you like it, then go back and watch one through nine in order. You could skip four again, or, or you could watch it again when you get to it, but you could skip four knowing what happens and when, uh, and then go from there. Um, the other stuff is not as essential. There are two other films, of course. There are um, Solo, a Star Wars story focusing on Han Solo, and Rogue One, which uh, actually leads directly into uh, Star Wars A New Hope, episode four. And... I, I have a hard time deciding whether or not these should be watched in the order that they appear in the timeline or whether you're better off going back and having those questions and those bits of history answered for you after you've got some Star Wars knowledge and stuff. Because I feel like there's enough in there that they're good standalone films, but also there's an awful lot of rewards for Star Wars fans. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. So I feel like it might be worth going 
through like the full nine and then going back and watching them. The one exception I would say is without any, it's hard to get into it without any spoilers, but Rogue One, I would say is the one that I would, tr I would be interested to see what that experience would be like to watch Rogue One between episode three and episode four. Cause it is, it doesn't involve main characters, but the plot is a direct tie-in to a new hope and basically what the empire stands for. Like it is, it is a key moment in star Wars history. Yeah. And it's gritty and it kind of deals with maybe the aftermath of, of revenge of the Sith. So yeah, I, I feel like there's, there's some questions that you might have that might be frustrating in four five, six. If you don't watch rogue one as a first time viewer. Um, but I don't think you need to stop and watch solo. Um, I think, I would almost prefer people get to know the Harrison Ford solo in four five, six before they go back. Yeah. Yeah. Harrison Ford solo is, is he's special. Yeah. I think so too. Um, as for the other shows like the animated star Wars, the clone wars, star Wars rebels, and then the live action Mandalorian, which we've talked about on, on the show. Um, they're not essential to the films. So think of them like supplemental material. Uh, Clone Wars happened between Attack of the Clones episode two and Revenge of the Sith episode three. But I feel like watching seven seasons of a cartoon between those two films is like putting on the brakes. I I think it would derail what is an otherwise pretty linear story focusing on the Star Wars Skywalker saga. So good to go back and watch them later if you really like that kind of stuff, but don't feel like you have to. Um same with Rebels. Rebels ties into, I think it's just after New Hope or just before. I can't remember. Um, but also very side story. Not a lot of, of major tie-ins. Um, now, Mandalorian absolutely has some tie-ins. Yes. And the timeline for Mandalorian is after episode six, but before seven, eight, nine. So, um, and they don't really say how long, or at least I don't think they say how long after episode six, but it's not terribly long. It's only a few years, less than 10, I think. Um, but the Mandalorian series is its own side story. It doesn't involve or doesn't really focus on the main saga. Um, and I feel like that is definitely a show that rewards people that have Star Wars knowledge and, and want yeah. to pick up on all the little things that John Favreau is putting down as puzzle pieces into the greater story of the Mandalorian and um, really getting a lot out of that. That said, I think there are a lot of rewards in the Mandalorian for people that are familiar with Clone Wars. So it's hard to say if you want to break from, from the film stuff, watch some cartoons before you get into the Mandalorian. Um, but know that you can watch the Mandalorian as a standalone series. And I don't think you'd really be missing out on anything, but I would, I would watch the films. I never watched Clone Wars. I mean, I watched the films. But I never watched Clone Wars. Um, the way my partner described it to me was like, it's, it's a, it's a fun space Western. Oh, yes. so if you know nothing else about, about the Mandalorian at all, it's just a fun space Western and you can just watch it as kind of like its own thing. Um, but I've been told that like you should watch 
Now, this is from someone who's, like, so steeped in Star Wars that, like, you know, they will not hear anything otherwise. They're just like, you need to watch Clone Wars before you watch The Mandalorian <laughs> because, you know, then, like, all this makes more sense. And I'm just like, but I don't have time. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't have time to watch all of Clone Wars. Um, so I've never watched Clone Wars, um, but I still really enjoyed The Mandalorian. Um, it took me a while to get into it, but once I did, I loved it. I personally like the timeline order, and I just, I, I, cut, out, I cut out the pod racing. I'll just I just fast forward all the pod racing. I don't need I don't need to watch an hour of pod racing because mm-hmm. there there are some story beats in there that like do kind of are nece- like they are kind of necessary. Um, I think personally, but um, I just I just ended up I end up fast forwarding a lot of the film. But I I like the the release order or not the release order. Sorry the the timeline timeline order. order yeah, and and I think that yeah. that's. I think that's more accessible and less confusing for people yeah. when they're new to it. And that's why I suggest the, yes. the timeline order is, is, is um, the way to go. But uh, like I said, like, and like you said, with the asterisks of like, you, you may not fall in love with Phantom Menace. You, you might have to get into the slightly more, the slightly deeper plots, I think, are, are mm-hmm. better. Um Phantom Menace still has its cool factor. Visually, it's still really neat looking. Like there's, I mean, they're they're all yeah, well shot films. Like nothing is like, oh, this is boring. <laughs> you know, like it's it's just it's yeah. Some of it's just a little bit strange, I think, to to outsiders, um, that are not familiar with the universe. The thing I'll say about the final series, the seven eight nine, the final trilogy with with Ray, uh, and the stuff that you've probably seen a lot of marketing and trailers and stuff for in the last six years, is that. It very much feels like an extension of four, five, six. So if you watch four, five, six and enjoy them, then know you're probably going to enjoy seventy nine, um, and yeah. and see see that story or those stories through, which was, um, I mean, there's a lot of divisive opinions about them, but I'll be very curious actually. And if you do watch everything, uh, write in again, let us know uh, how you think about yeah. them because. Uh, I've always, as someone that doesn't have kids and most of my friends have already seen Star Wars. So there's very few people around. I can think of one person actually that haven't seen the films. And really it's a matter of time and or the you know energy to sit down and watch them all uh, as to whether or not she's interested. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, as someone that has been eat, sleeping and breathing Star Wars for, you know, 30 years, the one thing that you can't get back is that first experience. So you, you, any opportunity you have to be around when someone is watching them for the first time, you, it's really exciting for you as a Star Wars fan, right? Yeah. Because you just you're hoping it's it's this weird weird double edged sword. Like you really want them to like it, you know, <laughs> um, but at the same time, you don't want to voice any of your grievances because you don't want to you don't want to taint the experience, right? You don't want to skew their, right. their thought process before they go in. Um, and so you're kind of hoping that they have the same excitement, but also maybe the same criticisms as you do. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a hard thing. Like you don't want to talk too much about it. You kind of want to just let them stand on their own. And what's nice about that is sometimes, and I've seen this on, on TikTok sometimes where, and I don't remember who this was, but somebody that I had seen a a lot of videos from was basically recording themselves watching these films for the first time and then, and then putting together little reaction videos that are one minute long of them like actually reacting to what's happening on screen, knowing very little about the films. 
um, I think it was basically like a pandemic exercise. Like, well, I'm stuck at home and I've not seen these. So like, I might as well go and watch this stuff. And it was really interesting. And they were more forgiving of things that Star Wars fans seem to have a problem with. Um, so I'd be curious to see see how you think of them when, when you watch them. So yeah, write it, write it in and let us know. So Megan, when you watch Star Wars for the first time, like how long has it been? Like, did you grow up watching them or did you just watch them recently? I grew up watching them. Um, so I went to go see um, uh, the first, like the, the, the prequels in, in theaters, actually, when they came out. And I remember... I remember watching Star Wars because, like, my, my uncle's really into Star Wars, like, really into Star Wars. <clears throat> so I remember being at his place at one point and just kind of, like, he just kind of put it on. I remember kind of just watching it in the background. Um, and then I went to go see the prequels. And then I think afterwards I was lent VHS copies of the original trilogy and then watched those when I was a little older. Um because I was still I was still a kid living in Alberta when I saw the prequels and then when I when I actually sat down and watched Star Wars myself I think I was like 12 or 13 um and then my roommate and I recently tried to like do a whole watch through of everything like from beginning to end and I think we made it to I think we watched uh attack of the clones and we finished there and then we just we got and then we started working and we just forgot <laughs> so you got <laughs> to continue. two of the nine and you're like and we're done well it's not even that we're done it's like we got we got um busy and then we just never got back to it again i'm sure i'm sure it'll happen i'm sure it'll be like our winter once the film season is over and um we have the winter off we'll probably sit down and and try and watch them all again i don't remember like hating the the prequels um i definitely see now as as an adult like i have like because i i most recently watched the phantom menace and attack of the clones um i i can see the pacing issues for sure and some of the acting choices um but i don't remember them being like super boring i think they look really good like i like i i feel like they still hold up in terms of like the visual style definitely there is something really nostalgic about about the um, the original trilogy. Yeah, I think what they tried to do with the prequels was bring in new audience members like you because yeah. I can't remember how many years there are between us, but it's close to 10. And or maybe a little bit more than that. And and so you would have been the target audience. You know like young theater goers that, you know, probably haven't seen the originals or if they have it was like, you know, on home video with their folks more than likely, right? Um, right. and then to go and experience them on your own with younger cast members, uh, more identifiable characters for younger people, but still deliver the things that the older Star Wars fans were looking for, you know, which were the lightsaber battles and the spaceships and all that kind of stuff that everybody mm -hmm. else was looking for. And the origin story of some of the characters that they, they knew from the original trilogy. And I think that's where I forgive the Phantom Menace for like, it wasn't aimed at me. I, I think they could have done a better job with it. I agree, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't aimed at me. Um, no, but I, I've gone back and rewatched them. I don't want to say it was recently, but I got the Blu-rays for Christmas a number of years ago and I rewatched them at that point. And, um, I don't remember disliking things like attack of the clones. Cause I honestly, I, I usually put attack of the clones at the bottom of my list. I don't mind the Phantom Menace. 
um there's like parts of it that you just have to roll your eyes and be just like yeah okay i get it like i understand why people don't like this and i don't like it either but like it's part of the movie um right. i feel like the the attack of the clones for me that's where things like you know acting and storyline and like really awkward sort of delivery of, of information really kind of hit a standstill for me um mm -hmm. but then you've got some other like some other key moments and other cool factors uh, that are see i the thing that i focus on in in attack of the clones and I, again i don't want to get into spoilers because obviously ruined is, is listening um is i like the focus on obi-wan in attack of the clones and that's why i'm excited yes, for you and mcgregor to reprise his role now that he's older as obi-wan kenobi and that hayden christensen is coming back to um reprise his role uh in any kind of situation where they have to do that in the obi-wan series so that's going to be cool yeah so after the mandalorian and knowing that disney can see the success of treating star wars as it was I believe originally written as more of a serialized drama than like standalone films. Um, Cause I, I mm -hmm. think it was like the old flash Gordon serial series that, that inspired Lucas to create star Wars. So knowing the success of the Mandalorian, I'm looking forward to series like Kenobi where they can explore things a little bit slower, you know, they can give a little bit more character development yeah. um, mm -hmm. and, and go forward. Like my, my criticism of, of the newer film seven, eight, nine is usually that there's not enough of a slow pace to them. They're a little bit too, like this happened, then this happened, then this happened because they feel like they had yeah. to pander to the attention span or the pace at which audiences are used to watching films. Uh, to which I say, mm -hmm. like, if you want an example of how that doesn't work, watch any Michael Bay Transformer film and you'll understand immediately why that kind of pace doesn't lead to necessarily good filmmaking. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like there it'd be very interesting again to watch them through and note the differences in tone and pace from movies made in the in the 70s and the 80s movies made in the early aughts and then movies made <laughs> in the last six years so moving on into the main discussion this week masters of the universe revelation and uh the timing of last week's show uh speculating about the trailer was pretty interesting because i didn't end up releasing that show until wednesday of this week uh because of just editing and, and other issues that came up so uh I had actually already seen the show while I was posting episode 409. Uh, we cannot talk about this without spoilers. Megan and I have watched uh, all five episodes of uh, Revelation Part 1. Uh, so if you haven't seen it and you want to hear this conversation without spoilers, then I would encourage you to go watch it um, and then come back and let us know what you think. Because uh, I'm really curious to, to hear from our listeners about this because I've been really divided on this not not in that whether i liked it or not because again huge spoiler i did not like it now that we're past the spoiler tag uh yeah. i really disliked the show and um i've been having a difficult time articulating how and why i don't like the show because the show has had a fair bit of controversy around it and um, it has a 95% fresh Rotten Tomato score, which is a positive score from 44 critics, and a 36% Rotten score from 3,561 reviews from Ooh. fans. Normally, when there's that big of a divide, something's up. Like something yeah. is just not connecting right. Something's uh, wrong. The fact that that many critics reviewed it positively, I am baffled 
baffled because it has some of the shittiest writing that I've seen in an animated series in a long time. And I, I don't understand outside of just the idea that these critics were just helping promote the thing. Like I just, I just don't understand how people can be that positive. Is it gutter trash? No. Like I don't think it's a 36%. I understand why I don't like it as much as I don't like it, but I don't think the broad population out there, especially because there's a lot of people out there that have no idea who He-Man and the Masters of the Universe are. I don't think that it deserves a 36%. I also don't think it deserves a 95. For me, it's more in the 50, 60 range, I would say. Um, I watched all five episodes over three sittings. I watched the first two. And then I had to sit down and watch the second two. And I had a couple of days before I went back and watched the finale. Cause I just, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the experience. I found myself getting angry while watching it. And I had to force myself to finish it, which is always a bad sign when I'm watching yeah. something. I wanted to like it. I wanted to think that a nerd like Kevin Smith at the helm of this would do the original justice and, and have something worth watching i've seen some very good animation coming of netflix i've also seen some animation i don't like coming of netflix but i can usually say even if it's not for me whether or not it's still a decent production value and all that kind of stuff um so my my first impression was just it just wasn't a good show i found that the plot was full of holes i thought the writing and the dialogue especially was awful and there's yeah. enough sidebars that just feel like fan service but like terrible we didn't try at all plus we're gonna make it weird fan service that it's when you see the people that are reacting online that are getting so angry about the show that i think is the main reason but what they're articulating is the reason is the mislead in the marketing in that the show and the story focuses on tila and a lot of the marketing, all of the marketing, including a conversation like a six minute video from Kevin Smith as a reaction to the trailer or a promotional addendum to the trailer that I talked about a couple of weeks ago on the show, um, said flat out, yes, it focuses on Tila, but don't worry, you know, there's lots of He-Man in it as well, um, which is not the case. So people are upset because they feel like they were lied to. And I think they were. I think it was very poor at at best. It was very poor marketing decisions. And at worst, it was just utter ignorance and, or we need to bait and switch in order to just get butts and seats to, to watch it. Yeah. How did you feel? I feel like I've been talking forever. Like how, how did you feel going into it? I see, I don't have the same nostalgic um affection for human i think the, the way that you do it just it just kind of missed me but like yeah like i was when I, I i knew enough about the characters in the worlds um well by virtue of shira as well so i knew enough about it to be like okay like i know who who these characters are at the very least um was tila ever part of the original oh yeah no tila is a huge yeah, part of the original was... yeah, yeah yeah okay so like he-man the original series i mean like i, I don't want to i don't want to say that this is like some diamond in the rough it's really roughly animated. It is loosely mm -hmm. a commercial for toys designed and sold by Mattel in the eighties. Uh, yeah, it's the the epitome of nineteen eighties reusable, recycled animation. It's got limited walk cycles. They were used stuff all yeah. the time. It's got campy jokes. 
people don't die. Like, I mean, it's an 80s cartoon. Think like G.I. Joe with swords and lasers. Like, it's just, it's not, yeah. it's not meant to be that deep. There was always like a life lesson where one of the characters at the end of the show was like, today I learned to count on my friends. Like, it's it, that kind of a show. Like, it, it was aimed right. at young boys five to seven years old like it was which is yeah. what i was at the time it, it was not rocket science by any means uh and so i don't want to say that i'm comparing this to the original show and say why wasn't it more like the original because i don't want i've tried to go back and watch the original it's really hard <laughs> it's yeah it's, it's if you yeah. watch it in a goofy kind of like couple drinks night kind of way like it's not something you go back and say this was such a good show in this like in the same way that you'd go back and watch avatar the last airbender and say that's a good cartoon like i really want to watch yeah. this again that's not yeah. what you get from he-man but he-man has that no. nostalgic kind of like it's such a unique idea it's it had toys it had a lot of imagination behind it and i think what people tie their nostalgia to is not just the show but it's all the time spent on your bedroom floor with He-Man and Skeletor and all the action figures, making up your own stories, having a hero, yeah. having a clear villain. There's something really nice about 80s cartoons where it was just like the bad guy is black and purple and cackles and is obviously evil. And the good guy yeah. is usually, I mean, again, this is a stereotype. It's usually a muscle bound more than often a white guy, but like, it's just like, yeah. it's a very clear hero and, and, and to, to, you know, to get into the other thing, She-Ra, same thing. It's very clear. Hordak looks like a freaking vampire. He's in black and red. Everything is pointy, sharp, angular, and evil. And She-Ra has a unicorn that has wings. <laughs> she has a sword yep. and she, yep. I mean like, yes, she's in a skirt, but she beats the snot out of people. Like it's just, it, yeah. it has its own thing. And so, yeah. I feel like the nostalgia there is the clarity. You know, it's the good guy versus bad guy, good versus evil, Superman versus Lex Luthor. Like, just give it to me straight. And and I think that that's not at all what they did with the show. Yeah. I was reading some of your notes here and like, yeah, there's no sense of time passing. Like, I think like you can kind of see like time has passed from like, you know, episode one to you know, whenever we get into, like, the present time of the show, um, because, you know, Tilly cuts her hair and she's buff as shit, which I don't, I don't hate, but I'm really tired of seeing women portrayed as, like, super masculine in order to be strong. Yes. It's just really stereotypical, when clearly you don't have to be super masculine to be really strong, in the case and point of Shira, <laughs> long flowing hair, and... I don't know. I thought like I thought like the whole Tila Andra thing. It just kind of felt yeah. It did feel really forced. It just it didn't it didn't grab me. I found myself. I ended up falling asleep during one of the episodes and I had to go back and watch it again. And I thought that some of the some of the acting was just. I didn't know if it was like trying to sort of reembody what the original He Man was, but yeah, some of the some of the the dialogue was just stilted or like not edited quite properly or um i don't know i did think orca was really cute though like seeing more like about orco's backstory and like how he was supposed to be called oracle i thought was kind of interesting because i didn't really know a lot about orco and i thought i thought he was really cute i liked lynn a lot i was surprised how much i liked lynn um because she's usually just like a standard sneery evil character but 
Lena Headey is is amazing, a good voice actor, um, a good actor. Period. I would agree, and I think that those are two of the characters that stood out for me as um, as far as the execution and the depth of lore and expansion yeah. of lore and the flipping of having to work with Evil Lynn during the plot. I felt was one of the better things about the show. Uh, yes, I for, agree. So to not know, to wrap up what you might not know about Orko in the original series, basically most of the cartoons at the time, if they were any kind of ensemble cast, there was always a sidekick. You know, there's Snarf from Thundercats. Uh, there's Orko from He-Man. Uh, I'm struggling to remember others, but essentially the, it was always some sort of like weird, non-human talking animal. Um, what's the, what's the silly, is it the owl in She-Ra from the original series? Oh no, it was um they ended up cutting him out of the the new one. Um L- Luki. There's always some sort of like s- silly little sidekick cute thing. And that's what Orko was. He was a wizard and every time he cast a spell it didn't go right. He was just kind of like the constant screw up. Um but he always had good intentions. He always had a pure heart. And that was the idea. Yeah. It was like that the lesson from Orko in the original series is like as long as you try your best then it shouldn't matter. So if at first you don't succeed, try, try again was essentially the the, the, right. the moral from, from Orko. The big reason that a lot of people are putting down on, on, on the internet as to why the show is, is terrible. Um, the show focuses on Tila, not He-Man. Uh, He-Man, as we know him, dies in the first episode. Uh, you don't see him, but for flashbacks for the rest of the series, when Prince Adam finally returns in the last episode he gets halfway through the 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 sentence that gives him his magical powers and is stabbed through by skeletor from behind who then takes the sword and takes the power of grayskull cut to end of season part one um yeah it is the worst feeling way to return to a show that you loved as a kid that i can possibly imagine it's like saying hey Let's watch, let's make a Superman cartoon. And in the first episode, we're going to kill Superman. And just in case you weren't sure, uh, in the last episode, we're going to kill Clark Kent. Now is Clark Kent or is, is, is Adam He-Man dead officially? Probably not. Uh, I've even seen articles where Chris Wood, who voices He-Man and Adam and Kevin Smith also say, um, that he's not dead because they've had so much backlash. But if you don't want yeah. that backlash, if you don't want that irate fandom as if you've been living under a rock for the last 10 years, you know exists on the internet, then yeah. why would you cut the season in half? Like why have part one come out without part two? And this is why I, I don't necessarily think it's entirely ignorance. They have to know that the ruffling feathers, they have to know that everyone uh, that is is really upset about the show is losing their minds and it's getting a lot of buzz online. Because if this if this drama wasn't happening, I don't think anyone would be talking about it. I don't think true. It, no, I don't, it's true. I don't think it'd be worth talking about. I think it would be just like, oh, look, another nostalgia show that fell flat on his face on Netflix. They would cancel it before even part two came out because it would not have had the butts in the in the chairs. And I think that and this is my opinion, I've got nothing to back this up. Given what I know, having watched the show, if you had billed it as 
Tila and the masters of the universe or had the trailer focus on Tila and her adventure, which is what the show is about and have set it up that He-Man is not in it or in it very, very little people. Well, one, I, they don't think that they could get people to watch it. I think you're right because that's not why people watch the original series. They didn't, it wasn't Tila in the masters of the user universe. It wasn't Skeletor in the masters of the universe. It was He-Man yeah. in the masters of yeah. the universe. And because he's not in it and because the core of the show is really set on its side, um, in my opinion, people are like you, I feel like Netflix and or the people behind it, like Kevin Smith knew that this was a hard sell. And so they took the easy road and they sold it as a He-Man show. Like, look at the poster. Yeah. The poster is 65% He-Man and Skeletor right down the middle. He's got the sword in two halves, which is a cool nod to the toys. Like there's Mm -hmm. all this stuff that focuses on He-Man and Skeletor and the Castle of Grayskull. Tila is a teeny tiny little figure off to his left. Yeah. In the background. Uh, Everybody else circled around. Most of them aren't in the show. Uh, A couple of them are. Um, But it is... 100% 100% He-Man, Lightning, Thunder, Grayskull, Skeletor, like that's it. They are in it for 15 minutes. And and it's not a good 15 minutes. Uh, the first episode, they definitely had some nostalgia beats. I, I, I definitely had goosebumps when he turned into He-Man for the first time. Like it was fun in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then it just goes sideways by the end of that first episode. And you just like why why would you do this like i just i just don't understand and that when you do that in the first episode you are going to taint the opinion of everyone watching the rest like you are not setting yourself up for a successful show with a strong female lead when the first thing that you do is take a beloved character and kill them it yes it's it's not I tried to watch the after show. There's a, there's a half an hour, I think special after show with Kevin Smith and a bunch of the voice actors from the show doing like behind the scenes couch interviews and stuff about their characters. And Kevin Smith is so over the top. So like we did this thing and we killed He-Man not once, but twice in the first like half the season It's not even over yet. It's so forced and so fake that I like, I don't even buy that. He likes it. You know, he turned it down yeah. the, first, the first time. I mean, he didn't know it was He-Man, but in a, in a um, variety article that I'll link in the show notes, he was approached to to meet with Mattel. And he said, like, I'm not going to go meet with Mattel. Screw that. And she's like, well, <laughs> if you don't even want to meet with them to talk about it in the first place, uh, I don't understand how you can get someone behind it. It's like uh, you and I have talked at length about not liking the um, Zack Snyder Justice League. Uh, I yeah. I don't think that Zack Snyder likes Superman at all. I don't think he likes the character or the story or the hero. So why put that person in charge of the of the film? Yeah. And I feel like for someone that sells himself as a as an uber nerd and someone that loves the Marvel stuff and loves the Star Wars stuff and loves what Kevin Feige is doing over at Disney, um, he he's not learning anything. He's not paying attention, in my opinion, to no. what what no. what it means to take something that fans are are a fan of and move it forward. One of the things that I find about Revelation is that there are so many things that are 
wrong with the show and a lot of times they're subtle and yeah. so it's hard to it's hard to articulate them because it it's like it's not just one thing the, i mean the stuff that took me out of it is like the corny wooden awful dialogue the giant plot holes uh the forced stereotype stuff that you mentioned about about tila look I'm happy to have a female lead. I love strong female characters. Korra from The Legend of Korra. Yeah. Uh, um, Rayla from The Dragon Prince. Yeah. Fantastic female characters. Part of an ensemble cast. They they kick ass. Um, they're not all um, buff. I mean, Korra is pretty is is in pretty good shape. Yeah, Korra is buff. They're not drawn like tanks. And I don't. And again, I don't yeah. mind that that Tila is muscular. I I mean, I'm I'm a fit person. My girlfriend's a powerlifter. She's strong and beautiful. Yes. But what bothers me about Tila is the fact that they they have to give her this um, stereotypical like buzzed under half mohawk haircut. And then I don't know if they come out and say it, but they drop enough hints that anybody over, you know, a certain age is going to understand that Tila and Andra are a thing. Yeah. So they're pointing that Tila's gay or bi which is fine they're forcing it down your throat in like the most stereotypical way they can and yeah it reminded me of all the positive things that you said about Shira and the Netflix series which looks very different it's not it's not a an angular anime it's more of a it's got more of a cartoony vibe to it yeah but I remember you speaking very highly about the diversity about the sexual diversity that they were portraying in that show as just straight up normal, right? Like they weren't yeah. necessarily smacking you over the head with it or making a big deal. Look what we've done. They just kind of presented it as normal. It's a thing when, you know, non-queer creators try and include now, like, you know, I, I love that queer creators or, or straight creators are trying to include more queerness and diversity into their stories. But on the flip side, I think, I think you should have queer creators spearheading something. If you are going to make a queer story, give that to a queer creator. Yeah. Um, because they know, we know the nuances, like we know how to make it just a thing, like have it not like being like a non, like a, not a big deal. But when, yeah, it was about as subtle as a gun. Yeah. Oh, with, with that. And it was like, you know, there's, there's weight. I mean, like, you know, Shira in in the you know the and the princes of power she is absolutely fucking muscular and gay as shit but it's not like presented that way like she's still presented as like feminine she's kind of an idiot but like she's also like she'll wear dresses still and she'll like you know she likes the long flowing hair she always talks about it. she's like man Shira has better hair than I do um right. she's always it's it, it but it was you know is never like a big deal Whereas this one, it was almost like, you know, look at this good thing we did. And like, again, I'm all, it's, it's this really fine line. Like I'm all for, you know, straight creators, including diversity in their stories. But if you're going to do that, either, either invite queer people into your writer's room and have them spearhead that plot point, um, or don't tell it and just, and, or give that to creators period like it's it's this really fine line like it's it's so it's so it's so hard but like i 
I think the the biggest thing is to like have people on your on your team who you know you trust to like ask advice to to be like how can we make this less obvious or less stereotypical and but then but then it gets to this thing where it's like what's gonna work for some people is not gonna work for everyone like some people really enjoy seeing you know more you know more options of like buff queer women with more of like a butchy style because you know butch lesbians are often you know shoved under the, under the rug a little bit more as like too stereotypical right um you know so it there's it, there's so many there's so many subtleties and nuances that are just like no one's going to be happy at the end of the day really like yeah. no one's going to be happy at the end of the day yeah and that's and that's where i think that I mean, it's, I mean, the original cartoon, not, I'm, I can't get into specific character names because I don't remember them all, but it was diverse. Like you had black characters, you had green characters, you had monster characters, you had men and women alike being strong. Um, yeah. And, and in this one, it's the same thing. Like it's diverse characters. There's, you know, dark skin, light skin, there's, um, uh, men and women, you know, both being strong and or sensitive in, in both ways. Uh, which is fine, but I think you hit it on the head. It feels like a look what we did. We want points. Yes. That's what it feels like to me. And that's where it sits wrong. And I feel like they did it in a way where instead of presenting, you know, Tila's maybe either being lesbian or bisexual as just the way it is, they did it through like the most overused stereotypes that you could possibly think of. And that's not the only yeah. stereotype in it. I don't want to focus on this for too long. Every plot point about the show, going to the underworld, going to heaven, uh, on Eternia, going, uh, on the hero's journey. I mean, you could argue that there's nothing new and that all stories are just some reiteration of the hero's journey, but they did absolutely nothing to reimagine rethink present a unique take on any of these tropes from greek mythology superhero comics or you know um heroes stuff like it's just it's the same shit shoveled into a cartoon with different characters like it's it's not yeah. imaginative at all and considering the world that you get to play in in masters of the universe i mean there's magic there's swords there's lasers there's attack tracks there's hovering techno stuff like it's just it is all over the map like you can do anything you want if you can think of it you can find a way to fit it in the masters of the universe the most imaginative thing that they can come up with for a couple of side characters is a cult called the motherboard that was a whole other thing that i was just like all right i am just i was done it made me so uncomfortable uh mostly because uh religious trauma but also like it was just so yeah. clearly like inspired by um catholicism it was just like yeah oh like it's thinly veiled like it's not even a try right they didn't come up with no. anything new. uh i no. i really i really am disappointed with all of those decisions uh it's it's something that they just like i said they just didn't try they said oh we've got a captive audience of 40 to 45 year old dudes you know who loved this show as a kid and we're gonna force feed them all of this uh and i'm gonna use this term i don't like you said i'm glad to see diversity coming forward but the idea of this like woke hollywood uh thing it it's not gonna do any good if you're force feeding it to people right yeah when i when i see it and it sits very well with me and i thought that's awesome 
are scenes again to bring up the dragon prince. Do you remember? I don't remember what kingdom they're from. One of the ruling couples comes into the main throne room in the dragon prince. They're obviously two women, two queens that are together that rule a country. And they don't like they, the, you only clue in because they both speak and they're both women and they're both referred to as your highness. There's no other big drama. They don't mention it. It's just presented as like, and then this kingdom has these two people ruling and then these two people rule the other kingdom. And like, it's yeah. just normal. Yeah, it's a non-thing. And that always sits with me as like presenting this stuff as normal is how we move forward with it. Yeah. So to get into a little bit more of the the nitpicky stuff, this is the kind of thing that as an animator, as someone that I, you know, as someone that grew up trained in art and animation and stuff really had a hard time with um, given the money that Netflix has and the, we'll say Hollywood clout that someone, a showrunner like Kevin Smith has. I'm surprised at how shitty the show looked like. Yeah. Some of the character designs got some points for me. Man at arms is, is not too changed, but it's enough of an update that, that you feel really good about it. Like he's cool. He's big. You know, like he's got lots of gear. He does all kinds of cool, like gadgetry. He's basically Batman, essentially. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and and, and in, the, in the best way possible. Uh, Orko uh, was a really bad character design back in the '80s. Very much improved. Really cool yes. looking. Great personality. Interesting backstory. Uh, they really kind of gave him a personality. The fact that he yes. knows that he's crap at magic and wish he could do better, and he's always been a failure, created some cool character development. The fact that he's tied to the magic of Eternia and that the magic in Eternia is dying. So then Orko is also weaker and sick. Like it's really, really interesting how they tied all that together. It's very much disappointing that he also dies in the fourth episode. I know that was like the one episode where I was just like, oh, okay. That kind of got me. You, you realize like halfway through the series, you're like, oh, you know what? There are some saving graces. Like, I'm going to keep watching this because there are a couple of things that I really like here in Orko and Evil Lynn. And then they kill Orko. And it's just like, for fuck's sakes, like, could you just give us yeah. something to grab onto? It's like, really they're, it's like they're cutting their own legs off from underneath them on purpose. Like, I just, I don't understand the decision making in the show. Um, yeah. So then uh, Orko was really cool. Uh, and then what was the other character that I thought was really cool? Oh, Beastman. Uh, Beastman was really interesting in that they changed his scale. He's much bigger. Uh, he's the scale mm. of like an orc from World of Warcraft, bright orange and 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 colorful and stuff. But then, uh, not necessarily a dumb character. Like he he's uh, adrenaline driven, but he's not without his own decision making. The original Beastman was basically like a lackey. Like he just kind of like was a really dumb character and did whatever Skeletor told him. Um, right. And he does he does kind of have that yes, welcome back, my Lord, kind of um, submission thing in in this series, but it's out of fear. I, I don't think it's out of like dumb follow the leader stuff. Like I really feel like he knows that Skeletor would kill him if he didn't follow him. Um, and what I thought was interesting, Beast Man, and I don't remember this. It might be something from the original show that I don't remember, um, but Beast Man has a crush on Evelyn. <laughs> and so he's, yeah. he's defending her at every corner almost like in one episode, almost every action he takes is basically stay away from my girlfriend. <laughs> right. Which yeah. she wants nothing to do with, but yeah, but it, it had some value and it was presented in a, in a way or, or conveyed in a way that was subtle enough that you're like, okay, all right. I'm so w when he does stuff like that, you know why, 
they don't beat you over the head with it, but they do make it pretty clear. Then there's some other stuff that I thought was just phoned in. Uh, I really didn't like um, Evelyn's design. Now, I want to separate this from her character and her concept. I think the idea that Evelyn has to work with the good guys is a really interesting take. Uh, yes. Again, the voice acting from Lena Headey is fantastic. And the eventual change in her appearance when she takes off her helmet is also really interesting as well. But mm -hmm. they put Evelyn's head on Tila's body. They didn't even try. If you look at any of the shots where they're standing side by side, they're the same. Yeah. And I understand why Tila looks the way that she does. I'm fine with it. She is the daughter of Man-at-Arms. She is crowned Man-at-Arms, which is like the master of the guard in the first episode. She is meant to be the captain, the general, the leader. She's supposed to kick ass and take names, and she does so. I get it. I think she, from a from a physical perspective, it fits. Eva Lynn is a sorceress. Yeah, she shouldn't be that buff. No, like it just it it was a we just didn't even try to design to make her look interesting. Um, and again, yeah. this is not a comparative to the original series because in the original series, everyone looked the same. They had a different head. That's because that's how the toys were made, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and I understand yeah. that. But what I'm saying is that you have 40 years and a bunch of, you know, money to make some different changes. There's no reason why these characters couldn't look and, and act and, and, and be completely different silhouettes, you know? Uh, so the fact that when Tila and, and, um, Evelyn are sitting next to each other. If you black them out, like if you put them in silhouette outside of Evelyn's helmet, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. Yeah. You know, which is not good design in my opinion. Now, again, no. really like the backstory for Evelyn. Really liked the, the relationship with Orko. Um, they don't give enough screen time, at least in part one, to the strange relationship that Evelyn has with Skeletor. It, it feels... Yeah. It feels like it could be deeper or more adult. Like it feels like it could be either a romantic relationship or an abusive relationship or both. Like I just, it yeah. feel like they can go deeper with it, but I don't think they're, this is the problem is I don't think they're going to go there. They could, but they won't. It's just like the same way they wouldn't just go out and, and have uh, Andra and, and Tila kiss. They have to drop yeah. these stupid hints as if like, this is how you'd get away with it in the nineties in a sitcom. It's just like, just yeah. either own it or don't, you know? Cyclops and Trapjaw are wasted. Those are really, really yeah. interesting, cool characters from the original series. Trapjaw especially was one of the coolest toys uh, and, and one of the most interesting characters on the show in terms of what his physical abilities were. Very different. And they did nothing. Uh, it is a disturbing idea that this guy has got a metal jaw replacing his, his organic jaw and then a mechanical arm that he has all these different attachments that he can take off and put back on again. They addressed none of that. He's basically yeah. a... like. Uh, a, a cult second in command uh, that drives stupid looking vehicles that were like that. No one remembers from the original show. So like, it's just, yeah. there's a lot of stuff like that, that you're just kind of like, I don't even understand why you're putting this in the show. Like the um, Roboto character design, terrible. Like I understand the original character design wasn't very good. You can do anything you want right now with T with graphics and animation. Why does it look the same? Why couldn't Roboto be something completely, you know, original? Unless it was like, or at least like even write it in. It's like, you know, hey, he was damaged and I had to fix him. Like you could, that could have even been like a, like a whole story beat that like, you know, that you could have changed it. Now, if it's like, you know, if Mattel is kind of like, no, you can't change the, 
the design of these well, characters and that that's something too. different because there's because i know that yeah. i know that with with shira color palettes had to stay the same they they didn't care about what they looked like but their color palettes had to match the original toys so like characters like glimmer even though glimmer looks totally different from from how she does in the in in the original shira um her color palette's the same so all the all the princesses have a like their color palettes have not changed so like that was that was like the one stipulation but yeah if, if mattel kind of got in there and was like no you got to keep things pretty the same that that's the only thing i can think of where they're like that's maybe why things didn't change but like if they were open to things being changed there could have been interesting story beats for why they did but yeah just it it, it in all it just kind of felt really lazy yep and that's why i think they keep on undercutting themselves is because they say it's a nostalgia show and then they put zero effort into all the things that they had an opportunity to make nostalgia moments. And yeah. then they sell it as a, as a nostalgia show with He-Man and then also cut out He-Man. Like it, it just, it really baffles the mind as to how, how they had all these opportunities. They put all of this energy into making the show and then all of the decisions that they made in the show feel like the, like the shortest distance to the end right yeah i mean when part two drops because it's going to i'd be interested to see how they fix it or if they listened to any of the grievances that anyone has that would be nice uh i'm not holding my breath for that though i might i might watch it if part two comes out just to see if it if it does get any better and that's where i said i feel like i have to watch it like i feel like i have to watch it to see if i'm wrong to see if judging it after half of the first season uh was a misjudgment like it was a, a miss yeah you know it was a, a the wrong course to take at which again i say yeah. why did you release half a season there's a quote from kevin smith i'm going to read from the variety.com article uh and he says i see people online go hey man they're getting rid of he-man like you really fucking think mattel television who hired me and paid me money wants to do a fucking masters of the universe show without he-man Grow the fuck up, man. Like, that blew my mind. Bunch of people being like, oh, I smelled it. This is a bait and switch. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Now, again, this is only half of it. So, like, if you're, if you're, if it, if it isn't a bait and switch, you shouldn't have released it in two parts. And both Chris Wood and Kevin Smith have had to come out and say, He Man slash Adam is not dead, despite being stabbed through uh by in the finale for part one because they have to let people know that he's in the rest of the series the original yeah. pitch for the show from this variety.com article was that adam was supposed to be in it but he was supposed to be without his powers because of the magical thing happening in eternia and so the idea right. was supposed to be adam's struggle to finally get back his powers Right. I'm not saying that's. I don't want to watch 12 episodes of Adam dancing around not being He-Man either. I can see that being something interesting that they may want to explore. And it sounds mm -hmm. like that's what the rest of the season is going to be, is that Adam came back from the dead, uh, which is, again, Superman, right? Uh, yeah. He's then... In the, in the moment where he's trying to become He-Man to help save Eternia, Skeletor stabs him through and takes the sword and becomes Skelet God or something stupid. Uh, and so now we've got not only no He-Man, but we've got Adam with a mortal wound he probably has to recover from for, for the next, I don't know, however, however many episodes. So I'm putting money that He-Man doesn't show up until the final episode, right? 
the 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 rest of the the season is going to be Adam struggling with two things: the fact that he loves Tila, she's mad at him for lying to him for years, and he's trying to get his powers back so he can become He Man and save Eternia with the help of his friends, Man at Arms, Tila, and Orko. Which I mean, that goes along with the original show, but it it yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's like it, even though you've gone to the extreme of killing He Man in the first episode, having Adam you know crippled and hobbled around for the entire season is also not what fans want uh yeah to put to put an idea out there that i think would have been a better approach because this is something that bothers me a lot online where people say this sucks but then they don't offer a better approach i was really interested when i heard kevin smith talk about the fact that this is going to focus a lot on tila and her relationship with man-at-arms orko and he-man slash prince adam when she finds out that he-man and adam are the same person and she's pissed and they also said that like magic is dying and and tila has sworn off a life with dealing with magic because she's like screw that noise i'm done with all the hero magic garbage uh i'm gonna be my own hero and i thought that would have been really interesting to see how that dynamic plays out with he-man in the picture yes imagine he-man going to stop Skeletor or whatever thing is happening and then running into Tila, who's also trying to stop whatever's happening, them having to work together, but her being pissed at him the entire time. Yeah, that would have been way more interesting. Exactly. Have that dynamic play out. You know, like think about any moment in in like a Superman uh, a cartoon and or uh, live action situation, like say Lois and Clark back in the 90s, when Lois figures out that, Clark Kent and Superman are the same person and she's pissed and she still loves them both. She's trying to reconcile that. But then there's a bunch of really kind of snarky or really valid, you know, situations where she's angry and, and you get to see that play out. It, it makes the superhero feel very human because he has to deal with a normal thing we all deal with, which is relationships. You know, I think it, it, it gives, some real validity and intelligence to a character like Lois Lane. I think that the idea that one of the reasons that Tila is pissed off is because she is strong, intelligent and independent and she didn't fucking see it coming. Right. Yes. That would make me angry at myself. So I would understand why she would be so mad. And I think it would be such a much better, more interesting dynamic than just forcing all this other stuff into the show that in my opinion, doesn't belong there. And I, I, found myself getting angrier and angrier as I was watching it um, because of especially like even once I got past like the all right this is what they're doing I guess I'm gonna be along for the ride because I kind of want to see how it ends but then I get to the point where the animation was just shitty I'm just kind of like there's no excuse for this like you have more money and you like and you know that you've got this captive audience who you've basically lied to get into the chair you know so why could you not make it at least look like something like um, Dota Dragon's Blood, where I wasn't in love with every character design, but at least when it moved, it was good, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, and I understood the fact that, okay, the dragons are kind of stiff CG, but like they're dragons, it would take freaking forever to animate that by hand. Like, I get it. I understand why they had to cut those corners. But like the main character, Tila, again, I don't want to slam her physique. I don't want to slam the archetype that they've given her but she's not an appealing looking character. He looked more appealing when you first saw her. 
one of the reasons, and people might not pick up on this, one of the reasons is that she's poorly drawn in the second half of the part one. The character design is off. Her chin gets bigger, her nose gets bigger, her eyes get bigger and closer together and farther up her forehead. There's a couple of moments where they have what are called held frames in animation, where basically the head doesn't move, but like the arm does. And so everything else kind of stays still. It's, it's not a great technique. It saves time, but it looks horrible to anybody that knows what they're looking for. And when you do that though, the idea is that that held frame, because it's on screen for so long, and when I say so long, I mean like several seconds, and it's not moving, it has to be a really good drawing. So the draftsmanship yeah. behind that drawing has got to be solid. I'm telling you, like, I'll forgive a fair amount sometimes having worked in television production, having knowing what animation needs to happen to be on screen. There are, there are many, many moments in this show where I went, woof, who approved that? How did that say, yes, put that on Netflix for millions of people to watch? Because it is shit. Yeah. Like the drawing yeah. later on in the series is awful, awful. And I don't know why, yeah. because it started off so good. Yeah, which is so baffling to me. I wonder if it was like a crunch thing. Like this, the only thing I can think of is that maybe they were like crunched and didn't have the time to like put in decent work into it. But in which case that's like a management issue and yeah. a production management issue and someone not paying attention or actually understanding how long it actually takes to do anything. That's the only thing that I can think of. As I was watching it, I was like, if I can notice the terrible animation, I can't imagine what Joel's seeing right now. Oh, like that yeah. was in my that was in my head throughout the entire time I was watching it. I was like, "Woof." The only thing that uh, to try to end on a positive note uh, that really kind of kept me going through some of the the later episodes where the animation was was rough. That is where they get into deeper character development. That is where the voice acting really started to excel. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Lena Headey is as uh, Evelyn. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar is actually Tila. Oh. You don't notice it later on in the first, in the first couple of episodes. I see the problem is like, I read an article about the voice acting before I went in and watched the show. So I caught it and then I couldn't unhear it. Um, but later on, it's better when she's not, when, when, when Tila gets mad, you hear Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> but when she's doing something more subtle, like talking to Andrea or whatever, it's, it's less noticeable. Andrea also is a good voice actor. Uh, I mean, I love Liam Cunningham. He is phenomenal. Uh, I wish Man at Arms was written better. There are some subtle moments between him and Tila that are very well done. But most of what he says, it's not how he says it. It's the lines that he's given. Or you're just like, oh, for Pete's yeah. sake. Like, he's basically just a cookie cutter character. It's really unfortunate. He's he's an actor wasted on how they wrote Man at Arms. He's perfect for the character. But he the, the, the writing on him is, is just wasted. I really enjoyed like a lot of the other... Uh, the other voice actors. I mean, Chris Wood is fine. I mean, it's not the, the He-Man. The thing that I didn't like about He-Man wasn't the voice acting. It was the fact that he speaks as He-Man as if he's a 17 year old kid. And it's, it's the Shazam Captain Marvel problem that I have. Um, I, I don't particularly enjoy it. I get why they did it. They make it so that it's a bit, of, it's a bit of a difference. They make, they make Adam more identifiable to younger viewers. And I mean, it's a decision that I don't necessarily like. What I was really disappointed in was um, Mark Hamill as Skeletor, which is surprising to say, because I really enjoy Mark Hamill and I like his voice acting for the most part. Um, but he's the Joker and you can't unhear it. At first I was like, Oh, that's Mark Hamill. Oh, I like Mark Hamill. Oh, that's the Joker. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Now, I mean, I get it. In in the original series, Skeletor bumbles around, 
calling people you baffling boob like i like i get that there's a lot of really tongue-in-cheek odd nuances to skeletor in the original series and again i say your audience is not five they're 45 so grow yeah. up and make skeletor evil and lose the the jokes like you could you could have had the jokes from orko or cringer or even tila you know uh, and have them land fine you know but but giving skeletor should have been evil he should have just been like flat out i'm here to just destroy the world and 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 care about nothing else and they just they they gave him all these stupid stupid lines and I, there's a lot of nuances from the joker in in the batman series where he'll say something really evil like i'm going to rip your heart out and then chuckle yeah Keltor doesn't giggle <laughs> like it just at least he shouldn't in this particular situation and he can be dark like I've seen and I've heard Mark Hamill do some darker Joker stuff where where he could have really taken it in a way that that didn't do the goofy laugh thing now again I understand that Skeletor has a very specific cackle and it's there's some you know nods to the originals there but Again, it it just didn't sit well with me, which is unfortunate because I think that people were just like, oh my gosh, you know, Mark Hamill is Skeletor. That's an amazing cast job. And maybe it was direction. I think it was direction. You know, like I, I don't know exactly how it's how it's going to go forward. But yeah, I'm not um, not entirely sure how the rest of it's going to go. Um, I know the music will be good because Bear McCreary from Battlescar Galactica and The Walking Dead did a great job with the music. I'm glad that you're here to, to talk about it with me because... I've not said anything online anywhere about the show, not even mm -hmm. in my own personal discord, because I'm, I'm just so tentative slash worried about being lumped in with a bunch of misogynistic haters that don't like the show for the wrong reasons. Right. Uh, and I just, I don't like the show because it's objectively bad. And I wish that they didn't fill it with stereotypes when they could have had an opportunity to really push things forward. Um, like, as I've heard from you, Netflix did with She-Ra and the Princess of, of Power, right? Well, I mean, apparently that was like, they'd kind of already, that was sort of underhanded on, on, on Noelle's end. Cause Noelle was saying that they, um, when they were writing it, they were saying that, um, the, the relationship between Adora and Catra was kind of like so deeply rooted in the backstory that by the time it got to the end, she was like, this is it this is the story and it cannot go, it's going to fall flat if this doesn't happen. And they're like, well, you've already laid the groundwork. So I guess. So it's more of right. like a better to ask forgiveness than permission sort of thing. Um, but it was very well received. And like, even for people who, you know, you know, weren't part of the queer community who like just wanted to, to watch she right now, like you got, you got some misogynistic people who are just like, Oh, she looks like a 12 year old boy. Like just, she's not hot anymore. What happened? And it's like, this is not meant for you. It's not, it's not meant for you anymore. Like, arguably, I think, I don't think Shira was ever meant for the male demographic. Oh, that's the arguments that I see from some, some other people online that are, are trying to present the same argument, but also trying not to get in hot water and saying like, yes, it's important to have female strong lead characters. That's what Shira's yeah. for. You know, like why, like, why do we have to lose He-Man and get Tila? when there's already yeah. Shira, you know, like it just, it, it, and that, and I, I, it sounds awful to say out loud, but that's how a lot of people are feeling. And I, I get, I get that for sure. Like, I'm, I mean, I, I liked having Tila be the focus, but like you were saying, like Tila being the focus without He-Man 
kind of defeats the purpose of a He-Man show. It's not additive. It's subtractive. Yes. And in a way, I think a lot of people probably end up feeling threatened by it. Mm -hmm. You know, like just you're not going to get any kind of warm reception if you say like, here, I want you to have this new thing. But first, I'm going to take away the other thing. No one says, yeah, sure. Before they see the new thing. It's like, yeah, sure. Take this thing that I like and and remove it. Yeah. Uh, And then I'll happily accept your new thing. No, that's not how anything works ever. It's like I said, it's a hard sell. And boy, are they trying. And uh, honestly, they need to stop because the harder they try, the more pushback they're going to get. Like, it's it's just, you know, like you, if you want to light a fire on the Internet, like you got to be ready for the yeah. repercussions. And what what I'm curious to see, we'll say, is the next time Kevin Smith tries to do anything, there, there's going to be a large portion of, of fans out there that are just like, nope. Yeah. Once bitten, twice shy. Like, forget it, you know. I'm on that fence already with Netflix. I find a lot of what Netflix puts out. It's no longer like, ooh, that's a really good show because it's a Netflix original. You know, like they've lost the, the HBO has that where HBO puts out something and like, even if it's not your thing, you kind of look at it like, hmm, that's being talked about an awful lot. Seems to be really high production. People really like it. Whereas Netflix is just like, what spaghetti noodle are they throwing at the wall this yeah. week? Because it all seems to be haphazard, right? Like they do not seem to have a direction. Uh, especially in their animation department. Some stuff is good. Dragon Prince is good, uh, you know, but I'm I'm watching and trying to get through the latest Troll Hunters thing, and it's rough. It's really rough. Well, hopefully we can lift your spirits with the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you. The Sizzle Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back into it. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Sizzle Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server, as well as access to bonus audio like the one that Alistair and I recorded last week about his home arcade setup, which is pretty freaking cool. Uh, You can head over to patreon.com slash the Sizzle Cafe and become a member today. Patron count is at 24, and we're always trying to add new people. So if you'd like to become number 25, uh, please go ahead and do that. If you have any questions at all, uh, hit me up on Twitter or uh, ask in the Discord if you're already supporting in another way and you'd like to get in on the extra bonus audio content. And that's patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. This week, I would like to point you towards the Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer number one. We're ready to believe you is the catchphrase that they're using for this film. Uh, I don't know if I should get excited for this, if I should let myself get excited for this after my experience with Masters of the Universe, but it is directed by the son of Ivan Reitman, who his name is escaping me right now, which I should have looked up before I started talking about it. Jason Reitman. Jason Reitman. Thank you. Too many tabs open with Masters of the Universe try to comb through IMDb, which is the slowest freaking website on the planet. Anyway, I like Paul Rudd in just about anything that he's doing. The fact that they're taking some real life stuff. Unfortunately, Harold Ramis passed away. So uh, Egon uh, from the original trilogy. This is the story about his grandkids that are left an old, probably haunted uh, farmhouse by their Mm. grandfather along with everything else that's in the shed like ecto-1 yeah. <laughs> that happens to be in the shed uh with a sidecar and a proton cannon and the trailer goes beyond the nostalgia beats and the nods from the teasers and gets into uh why this town in the middle of nowhere is getting tremors when there's no fault lines there's not supposed to be earthquakes there it looks like there's some sort of supernatural thing happening there, which leads you to believe like, well, that would be maybe why Egon would live there. 
anyway, um, it leads to what looks like uh, an adventure that is going to be worth uh, worth a look. I hope yeah. uh, it 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 really feels like it's got some of the humor of the original film. There's a little cameo at the end. I'm not sure if it's his hand, but it's definitely his voice of someone calling what looks like either a pawn shop or some sort of like collectibles mm-hmm. place. And uh, Dan Aykroyd answers Amazing. the phone. So uh, Ray Stance is in it, uh, or at least giving a nod. I really do like the originals. The second is not the best, but the first is a really good film. The last scene of the trailer is the kids running around in, in Ecto-1 uh, chasing Slimer across uh, the main street in the small town. So which like really feels, <laughs> it feels pretty on the nose, I guess, in, in a good way. So Finn Wolfhard is from Stranger Things. Yeah. And he's he plays the older grandkid. I was going to say it has a very Stranger Things energy about it. And um, I don't know. I appreciate it. And he's a good actor, too. It looks really cool. I'm pretty excited for it, actually. The other actor in it that's that's that looks really good, too, um, just from the trailer, I'm trying to find her name as well. I believe. Is it Megan Grace? McKenna Grace. Grace. I believe I believe that's her playing Egon's nerdy granddaughter. Uh, and she is definitely pulling some original Egon performance into it in her mm-hmm. own way in the, in yeah. the trailer. Anyway, uh, really awkward, nerdy, not a stereotype, but definitely a person you've met. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, definitely people that I've come across in my life that that act and talk like that. Yeah. It's really cool to see they've got some younger cast members that look like they can really hold their own, you know? So it's coming out this fall? Yeah, it said Thanksgiving. Hopefully once things open up a bit more, we should plan to go see it. And also an excuse to like, I haven't seen you in like two years. Not in person anyway. Man, I was just thinking about that the other day, talking to some people that, I mean, like some people like I talk to a lot, but they live away. So like I've not seen them in a long time yeah. anyway because they they don't live in the province. But then there's people that live like down the street. Steven, I haven't seen Steven I think there was probably like a parking lot hello or something like that at some point. But like I, to hang out and spend time together, we haven't done that in a long time either. So once things are semi-safe again, I would I would like to go see Ghostbusters with you. I feel like that would be a good time. That sounds like a plan. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Megan and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com. Please do so and let us know what you think about Revelation. You can find the show by name on Twitter and you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and Reason FM. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. You can check out my other podcast all about Minecraft at the spawnchunks.com. And you can follow me on social media at Joel Duggan. This week, I'll point you towards twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where I'm playing quite a lot of Minecraft on the Citadel server, but I'm expecting and planning to get into some other games as well. Megan, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at oh, Megan Townsend. I haven't posted anything lately, but there's some new stuff coming out that I'm, I'm working on. So keep your eyes on those places because that's where, where I'll be. And Twitch. I'm going to be making a comeback to Twitch as soon as I can. You've been listening to the Sizzle Cafe where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two. 